revealed by Lord Himself to the Rushis or the sages who are the seers. So these Ved mantras or passages of Vedas are not composed or written by anybody, but they are revealed to the sages, and therefore the sages or Rushis are called the mantra dashtara, the seers of this mantra, the seers of these passages, the seers of these the statements of Vedas, and not composers. Sometimes the question is asked, Swamiji, who wrote the Vedas? There is no author of the Vedas, no human author. And the Vedas are called Apaurushaya. They are not the product of the intellect of the human mind, because whatever is the product of the human mind is going to be also limited by the limitations of the human mind. But these are not the products of the human mind, they are revealed to the human mind and revealed by Ishwara, by the Lord, who is omniscient, who is all-knowing, and therefore it suffers from no limitation, no defect. <coughs> and thus Vedas are the source books of all the knowledge, and Bhagavad Gita is the essence of all the Vedas. Therefore, Bhagavad Gita also enjoys the status of the Vedas in a way. <coughs> Although Bhagavad Gita is not part of Veda, it is called Smruti. Vedas are called the Shruti. The Bhagavad Gita falls in the category of Smruti. Smruti are the composed texts. But still, Bhagavad Gita enjoys in the Indian tradition the same kind of a status or reverence that the Vedas enjoy. <coughs> and most of us do not have access to the Vedas, but we do have the access to the Bhagavad Gita. And that is how, through this teaching, Bhagavad Gita makes us makes to us available the essence of the teaching of the Vedas, teaching of the, the, uh, the whole tradition. <coughs> so we are going to, what is it that the Vedas teach? Or what is it the Upanishads teach? <coughs> In one of the invocatory verses of Bhagavad Gita, Bhagavad Gita is described as Advaita Amrita Varshinim, the one that showers the nectar of non-duality. Advaita Amrita Varshini, the one that showers the nectar of non-duality. So Upanishads teaches the nectar of non-duality. <coughs> what is this non-duality? As we heard last night and to some extent this morning also, in this talk about sadhanam, sadhanam means a means means to achieve a certain end. End is called sadhya, and the means to achieve is called sadhanam, the means and the end. That's what is going to be the theme of the, the other talks by Puja Swamiji. So thus, there is something sadhya, there is something to be achieved, and sadhanam, there will be an appropriate means to achieve that. And the one who wants to achieve is called sadhaka, the one who wants to accomplish one wants to achieve is called sadhaka. He undertakes certain means called sadhanam to achieve a certain end which is called sadhya. The sadhanam is a means that connects the sadhaka with sadhya. So the one wants to achieve is joined to his goal or, or an objective with the help of the means. So this very word sadhanam, the means to achieve a certain end, presupposes that there is someone who wants to achieve, and there is some goal to be achieved. 
So there is a distance between the two, and that distance has to be bridged by what we call sadhanam or the means. For example, I want to go to California from from Salisburg. Then I take up a sadhanam in the form of a, a flight, a, a flight, you know, a plane. So plane or that flight becomes a sadhanam, the means. I am sadhaka, the one who wants to reach California. California is the sadhya, the end to be reached. Now when do I need to take up the sadhana? When do I need to take the plane? When the place where I want to go to is separated from me or I am separated from the place. So there is a distance between myself and California in terms of place, in terms of space and in terms of time also. And this plane bridges the gap and thus makes me achieve the goal that I want to achieve. In this business of achievement, there is already a presupposition that I am different from what I want to achieve. The sadhaka is different from the sadhya. And all of this will be elaborated by Pujya Swamiji. But what we are saying here is that, what is it the Upanishad teaches? The teaching of Upanishad is summarized in one simple statement, Tattvamasi, that thou art. Upanishad says that you are what you are trying to become. You are what you want to achieve. And again, as Pujya Swami will explain that each one of us wants to achieve just one thing, and that is freedom or happiness. Happiness without any limitation. So freedom or happiness without any limitation, without any conditions. So unconditional happiness or unconditional freedom is what I want to achieve. Upanishad says that this is what you are. Tattvamasi, that thou art. <coughs> so this is a statement, that thou art, Tattvamasi. This statement has three words. It is called Mahavakya, a major statement, but a very short statement, that thou art. Having these three words. And to understand a sentence, we should understand the meaning of each word. What is the meaning of the word? Tat or that, what's the meaning of word Tvam or Dhao, what's the meaning of Asi or that Dhao are equal to that. <coughs> so, these three words, Tat, Tvam, Asi, you are that, is the teaching of, Bhagav- of the Upanishad, is also the teaching of the Bhagavad Gita. And one way of understanding this set of Bhagavad Gita is, that the first six chapters of Bhagavad Gita explain or elaborate the meaning of Tvam or you. The second six chapters elaborate the meaning of Tat or that. And the six, six, third six chapters elaborate the meaning of the word Asi, you are, are. How you are that, how individual in fact is the limitless happiness of freedom. <coughs> so first six, six chapters are gone by. And then comes the seventh chapter. So, we can briefly review what has gone by in the first six chapters, so that we have a context of what is to be taught in the seventh chapter. <coughs> Again, all of you know that Bhagavad Gita is a dialogue between Lord Krishna and Arjuna, and that this dialogue took place in the midst of a battlefield. It also is well known that Lord Krishna was the charioteer the driver. Arjuna was the master of the chariot. 
in fact lord krishna and arjuna were great friends bosom friends but it just happens that lord krishna became the charioteer <coughs> again how it happened that also is well known how lord krishna happened to be on the side of arjuna because in the battlefield where this teaching was imparted the battle was between the two sides pandavas and kauravas the sons of pandu and the sons of dhritarashtra and the two armies and before the battle commenced the leader of the pandavas was arjuna and leader of the kauravas was duryodhana both of them approached lord krishna seeking his help requesting him to be on their side when the battle is fought and lord krishna wanted to be fair to both of them did not want to take any side and therefore he gave both of them a choice that look i will be on one side but i will not fight the battle i will not wield the weapon and without the weapon the one who will not fight such as that i will be on one side you can choose me or on the other side will be my well equipped army you can choose that this choice is given to arjuna and duryodhana arjuna is asked to make the choice first and arjuna makes a choice oh lord i want you to be on my side duryodhana also is happy because he wanted the army that shows the difference in their characters that arjuna is what we call astika the one who has the faith in the scriptures as well as in the lord as well as in what we call dharma or righteousness and there were arjuna belonged to the one who were righteous people never there was always dharma or righteousness in the life of arjuna never a faith in the veracity of the statement of scriptures also faith or the trust in lord and in the grace of the lord so as far as arjuna was concerned the grace of the lord was more important than even his own strength arjuna recognized that for successful endeavor or achievement of achievement of any goal not only do we require our own effort we also require the grace of the lord and arjuna believed that it is grace of the lord which is even more important than one's effort or at least equally important as much as our effort is and therefore he chose the lord which represents the grace of the lord duryodhana did not bother about dharma he did not bother about the righteousness for him the end was more important than the means and therefore he would adopt any means to achieve the end and this dharma or righteousness is not at all a convenient thing to follow because it's sometimes very slow and sometimes there are many obstacles also in following that and therefore we do not always achieve our end easily sometimes we may not even achieve the end and duryodhana did not have patience for all of this and therefore for him the end was more important and he did not much bother about dharma about ishwara about grace of god he always believed in his own muscular strength <coughs> and therefore he was very happy that he got the army so this is how lord krishna happened to be on the side of the pandavas arjuna turned out to be very intelligent Yes, Lord Krishna would not fight the battle. That's fine. He would not wield the weapons also. But that doesn't mean that he will not be useful. 
So, Arjuna requested Lord Krishna, would you please become my charioteer? Would you please become my driver? <coughs> because Lord Krishna was very well known to be one of the best charioteers as well. <coughs> but can you imagine your bosom friend asking you to become his driver? I don't think that we would tolerate me. You, you want me to be your servant? Even you are my master and I am your servant? We would have a lot of problems. But Lord Krishna had no problem at all. He had no problem. He said, sure, I will become your charioteer. Meaning that he had no difficulty in taking up any role. Even though Lord Krishna is the king of Dwarika, he is well known as in fact Lord, God, Arjuna knew him as such. And thus, he was one of the uh, most famous, most accomplished, most powerful persons of that time. And when he requested by Arjuna to become a driver, he willingly accepted that. What does it show? Really, it shows the freedom. What is meant by freedom is the freedom to do whatever is required to be done. <coughs> the freedom can be defined. One way of looking at freedom is the willingness to do whatever needs to be done. <coughs> this is one of the important teaching of Bhagavad Gita. Karmanyavadikaraste, he has to do whatever is required to be done in any given situation. <coughs> we do a lot of things, but we always uh, try to save our neck first of all. So why we don't stick out our neck? We always remain protected protect all our, you know, all our security and, and safety first, and then do what is required to be done. And so, we don't do necessarily what is required to be done. We do generally what is convenient to be done, not necessarily what is the right thing to do. As Swaminathan just said, surprisingly or not surprisingly, there were 327 fellows who signed this petition, imagine. Although this subject matter he talked about, is conversion, in fact, affects millions and millions of people, hundreds of millions of people, but people don't care. They don't think that it is their responsibility at all. Even to know what my responsibility is also is a very big deal. That's what Bhagavad Gita teaches also. Many people think that they don't need to study Bhagavad Gita. Swami, I don't need, I, I know. I, I always take my responsibility, I always speak the truth, I do what is right to be done. But what is your responsibility? Even that also needs to be learned. And we think that our responsibility only extends to our immediate family, or maybe to our friends. But Lord Krishna explains to us that in fact, one's responsibility extends to the entire universe. So, yajnasat karmanyatra lokoyam karmabandhanaha. Here, you know, may you perform the action in the spirit of Vyajnana, in the spirit of a, an offering, because the, there is a cosmic sacrifice, a cosmic offering is going on. And so what Lord Krishna teaches in Bhagavad Gita as dharma is nothing but self-offering, offering myself. And who can do that? When can I offer whatever is required? When I have no need at all. If I do not need anything, if I am safe and secure, regardless of where I am and of what conditions I am, 
I'm quite comfortable regardless of what, where I am or what I am, whether I have any possessions or not. If there is no sense of possession, there is no need for possessions. Only when I become totally free from all the needs that I can do, whatever is required to be done. You'll think about this, that we often shy away from doing, saying things that are right, doing things that is right, because we feel that our interests will be affected. And therefore, either we don't say that, or say things in a way, manner that we always uh, protect ourselves. Because we need protection, we are insecure, we are incomplete, and therefore, I'm in need of security, need of comfort, need of protection. Person who is free from any needs, even of protection, of comfort, of security, because one who has discovered that security and protection and comfort from one's own self. As again Lord Krishna teaches, Atmaneva, Atmanatushtaha, one who is completely satisfied with oneself, one who has discovered that fullness and security and fearlessness from oneself. Abhayam Pratishtham Indate, one who is established in fearlessness, with no fear, with nothing to lose and nothing to gain. That person is free to do whatever is required to be done in any conditions. To the extent that he has no hesitation also in giving his life if necessary. So Lord Krishna had no hesitation at all in accepting Arjuna's offer of becoming his driver because he had no conscience about the status that I can be happy only when I enjoy a certain position or only a certain power or only a certain status. Then alone I am great. If my greatness or my comfort with myself my acceptance of myself depends upon my being, so and so. That I am possessed of wealth, possessed of name, fame and power, then all I am all right, then all I feel comfortable about myself, I feel good about myself, otherwise I am not. If these needs are there, then of course I should have those things. Prajahati yada kamaan sarvan parsamanogatan, the one who has become free from all the needs. So one who doesn't depend upon anything for his comfort, doesn't depend upon the wealth, name, fame, recognition, power. If those things are there, they are fine. If they are not there, then also they are fine. That I am fine, I am comfortable regardless of what I have, what I don't have. Meaning that one's whose comfort comes from what he is rather than what he has. So thus, one who has discovered the freedom as one's own nature. That person has no hesitation in doing what is required to be done. And therefore, Lord Krishna says, yes, I'll, I'll become your driver. And it's not like Indian people, you know, they, they sometimes take up the job all right, but they have six assistants with them, you know. So, Swami, will you vacuum this floor? Okay, I'll do that. That's what I'll tell you, but I'll have three other fellows, you know. I'll supervise them. It's below my dignity to do the vacuum. I can't do that. I'm a Swami. But Lord Krishna did not have that kind of hesitation at all. That is how Lord Krishna became the charioteer, became the driver. It is said that at the end of the battle, after the, in the end, in the evening, 
when both the armies went to their camps, then these horses were released from the chariot and Lord Krishna would go wash them, massage them and do whatever is required. Not that he had Hafid as an assistant to do different things. All the chores he would perform himself because he has no, no problem with the status. He did not think that his status was decided by what he was doing. He knew that his status was decided by what he was. So the freedom. And so Lord Krishna thus became the driver, became charioteer. Arjuna is the master of the chariot. The, the battle is about to commence. The Arjuna requests Lord Krishna to please place the chariot between the two armies so that he could survey both the armies. And when the chariot is brought between the two armies and Arjuna surveys, he finds that there are his near and dear ones in both the armies. And he recognizes that by the time this battle is over, all of these people will be killed. This is the idea. People don't run away from battle. The Kshatriya doesn't run away from the battle. They will give their life rather than running away from the battlefield. So he knew that these people will fight until the end. Meaning that most of these people will be killed by the time this battle is over. And the idea of all these near and dear people dying and being killed naturally made him extremely sad. So Arjuna was filled with grief, sadness. And the first chapter of Bhagavad Gita essentially describes the situation as to how, what was the scene of the battlefield, how Arjuna requested Lord Krishna to bring his chariot between the two armies, how Arjuna surveyed both the armies and what he found. As I said, he found his near and dear ones in both the armies and the idea of their death made him extremely sad. <coughs> and in that state of mind, we was filled with grief or sadness, Naturally, Arjuna thought that he doesn't want to fight this battle because to fight the battle means killing these people or seeing the death of these people. And therefore, he said to Lord Krishna, Narishrayaunupashyami hatva swajanamahave. I do not see any good coming out of this battle. Killing my dear and near ones in this battlefield, I see no good coming out of this. And therefore, I do not think that I want to fight this battle. I want to fight. I came to this battlefield for these very people. I don't want kingdom for myself. I want the kingdom for these people. And those for whom I want to fight this battle are right here. And if they die, then what's the use of this kingdom? And they were Lord, not only the kingdom of the whole earth, even if I get the kingdom of all the three worlds, I don't think that this battle I want to fight. But you know, you do not want to fight the battle. You are so, you know, you seem to be so uh, righteous or you seem to be so concerned about people. But how about these Kauravas? They, they have no compunction at all. They are ready to fight the battle. You think that they don't understand? Lord, they don't understand. They are all greedy. They, they are, out of greed they have become intoxicated. They cannot see the reality that this battle will bring an end to all these people. And thus the first chapter concludes with description of the grief of Arjuna. <coughs> Tremendous self-pity. Tam krupayavishtam. There must be Gupta right its remark, I mean, you know, in, in announcement here, that please switch off all your uh, cell phones 
and beepers and whatever they are. If you think that you have to answer cell phones, then you can sit near the gate door. It may have something important, then perhaps uh, so that at least other people are not disturbed. <coughs> There is something important, maybe, that's all. it's possible. What happens is that we don't know how to deal with our tele- cell phones, you know. You don't know how to stop them, you know. First of all, the cell phone rings, you don't know where it is. In some kind of corner. It takes five minutes to find that, where that thing is. It's in a purse and then something inside, inside, there, there, there. You take out, then you don't know which button to press and what. And I have seen this. Many people do not know how to switch it off, really. I, it happens to me. Because when I go out, they give me a cell phone. I don't know what to do with it. One or two things I know, press this and that, but if, beyond that I don't know anything. So it can happen. <coughs> the important thing here, however, One <laughs> important thing that happened to Arjuna here. I'm sorry about no, no, please, no, no problem at all, no problem. I quite understand because I have gone through that, you know. That is. <laughs> is that in, with this mind that is filled with grief, tremendous sadness, tremendous grief, in that state of mind, Arjuna had some glimpse of his phenomenal problem. The most important thing that happened to Arjuna is that he had a glimpse. There is something fundamentally, there is some phenomenal problem here. That no doubt there is this particular situation, the topical situation is there. And you have to make a decision whether to fight this battle or not. That is what we call the situational problem or or a topical problem. A given situation requires us to respond to the situation and we may have a problem in how to deal with the situation. But you could see that this situation became a problem to him. Because of the mind, which was suffering from this grief or sadness, and the sadness was not just caused by the situation, but then sadness was caused by something more fundamental. And thus, Bhagavad Gita explains to us that there are two kinds of problems. One is the universal problem, phenomenal problem with which every human being is suffering. You heard from Pujya Swamiji that human being is endowed with the hundred percent self-consciousness. Other living beings and creatures have partial self-consciousness. But human being endowed with the hundred percent self-consciousness. I am conscious of myself. And therefore he could become conscious of the fact that he was a helpless person. Arjuna recognized his helplessness. He recognized his inability to do anything. He, he recognized that he was so limited, so inadequate, he found him totally inadequate to deal with the situation. And this inadequacy made him really extremely sad. 
understand that all our sadness ultimately comes from a sense of inadequacy. We feel sad from simple one reason. There is no other reason for our feeling sad. Anytime we feel sad, it's for one reason. That is when I find myself inadequate. Inadequate to deal with the situation. Inadequate to face the situation. Inadequate in wherever I am, I, when I find inadequate, I become very unhappy because I want to see myself adequate. I want to see myself a complete being, adequate being. When I find, as long as I find adequacy, so long I'm okay. Arjuna has fought so many battles like this. It's not the first time we came to the battlefield. And he never had this problem. Not that he was not inadequate, but he never had to face that inadequacy. In every situation of battlefield, he found himself adequate to fight the battle, and so he didn't have difficulty. This was the time when he found himself inadequate to deal with the situation. It is not that he was afraid of the situation. It is not that he was not strong enough to fight. But then he found himself emotionally inadequate to deal with the situation. And that is why he became very sad. <coughs> so Arjuna's sadness in fact thus represents the sadness of every human being. That every human being basically feels highly inadequate. Our hundred percent self, I mean self-consciousness. So we are very conscious about our, our keenly conscious about our inadequacy, our incompleteness. What is the inadequacy? Inadequacy, as I said, to be able to live up to my own expectations. I have some expectation of myself. A human being has expectations of his own self. I expect myself to be certain such so and so. I expect myself to be honest. Expect myself to be truthful. Expect myself to be kind. Expect myself to be loving. Expect myself to be generous. Expect myself to be charitable. This is what we expect ourselves to be. Each one of us loves to be kind and charitable and generous and loving person. Everyone expects themselves to be truthful and honest persons. When I find that I am not able to live up to those expectations, that I cannot be honest, I cannot be truthful, I cannot be kind, then I become sad. And if that sadness continues, I become depressed. Understand that this is the expectation that we have from ourselves. Not that I want to be a millionaire or a billionaire, that is not the expectation. I want to be a CEO, that's not the expectation. Ultimately the expectation is that I should be free. Expectation that I should not be helpless. Expectation that I should not be dependent. There is an expectation of independence. Freedom from independence, freedom from helplessness. So I do not want to be helpless, I do not want to be dependent, I do not want to be controlled. When I find myself helpless, controlled, dependent, then also I become very unhappy with myself. And it is my unhappiness with myself which makes me unhappy and makes me sad, makes me depressed. Arjuna found himself extremely unhappy with himself, <coughs> found himself helpless. Thus. Arjuna's grief is nothing but the, it is a grief that is shared by every human being. Actually, usually we are not aware of this, or we don't look at it that way. It is only taken for granted that the grief or the sadness I have is due to some situation outside. 
Something because somebody told me something. Because somebody did not tell me something. Because this person did not invite me. Because this person insulted me. Because whatever various reasons we may have as to why, I mean justification for why I'm sad. Swami, you don't know the children these days. So you don't know the in-laws these days. So you don't know the parents these days. You, everybody has some problems. People have problem with the uh, in-laws or without the laws or whatever. But then the whole world becomes problem. Thus we think that our problem lies out there. But basically the problem is with my own self. And that is not being able to accept myself as I am. Not being able to live up to my own expectation that I should be free. I should be adequate. Helplessness means inadequacy. Dependence means inadequacy. Being controlled means inadequacy. And thus, what we do is, usually we try to avoid this sadness, inadequacy by keeping ourselves engaged in some activity or other. We don't generally face ourselves. We run away from ourselves. And many of our activities are nothing but escaping from our own self. And Arjuna also wanted to escape. So he proposed to Lord Krishna that I do not want to fight this battle. And that proposal was simply to escape the situation and escape facing himself. Except Lord Krishna did not oblige him, that's all. Lord Krishna did not oblige him. Lord Krishna has no difficulty. He could have said to Arjuna, all right, go away, doesn't mind, let us get out. He could have. Because ultimately it is not Arjuna who is really going to do anything, it's Lord Krishna himself is doing everything. But then Lord Krishna did not oblige Arjuna. And Arjuna was required to face himself. Face his sense of helplessness. Face his sense of inadequacy. And also recognize the fact that there is nothing whatever that can make me free from the sense of inadequacy or helplessness. Nakaṁ krishna na charajyam sukhāni cha kinno rājyena govinda kim bhogehi jīvite O Lord, even if I get the kingdom, if I get the victory, so what? Get the kingdom, so what? Get all the means of pleasure, so what? So in this state of mind, Arjuna could see the inadequacies of all those achievements, could recognize that all those achievements singularly or in combination also could not help him. Says Arjuna, Nahi prapasyami mamapanudyat O Lord, even if I get the unrivaled kingdom of the entire earth, not only that, even if I get the kingdom of heavens, I become the king or the sovereign of all the three worlds. Even though the achievements also, I do not see how it can remove this pain or the suffering that I am experiencing right now. So you could see that there is nothing that can really remove his pain, his grief. And that's how he submitted himself to Lord Krishna. Not finding solution with himself. And he really recognized also 
he did he, he was not sure that not fighting battle was necessarily a solution or that fighting battle also was necessarily a solution that doing something or not doing something was not necessarily a solution solution must be somewhere else and he recognized that solution is in understanding the whole problem solution is understanding the very cause and removing that cause therefore he pleaded with lord krishna to urge with lord lord krishna to teach him yashreyasyat nishchitam bruhitanme shishyasteham sadhimam tvam prapannam oh lord krishna lord please teach me that by which i get ultimately what is ultimately good i am your disciple i am surrendered to you please teach me by that i can become free from this grief once and for all i know that there have been occasions when i was happy my happiness comes and goes away the grief goes away and comes back i want that the grief should go away and never come back happiness should come and never go please teach me that he recognized what he is seeking in his life today he recognized so far he thought, he thought that he is seeking kingdom he is seeking victories he is seeking power he thought that this is what he wanted in his life and that is why he was pursuing that all along today he recognized that what he wanted was freedom from the from grief once and for all he wanted freedom from grief once and for all that's what he wanted meaning that this was the desire behind all the desires or oh, this was what he desired behind all his endeavors was freedom from grief freedom from inadequacy freedom from sadness this is what he recognized he wanted and this is what every human being also wants and that's the reason why the teaching of lord krishna to arjuna becomes relevant to everybody and it is not that this is an ancient problem or a modern problem this is a fundamental human problem this fundamental problem was always there will always be there with every human being because whoever is born is born with sense of limitation and this sense of limitation is what makes us unhappy or sad and all our efforts and endeavors are for becoming free from this inadequacy or sadness and therefore this teaching applies to all the human beings at all the times <coughs> and therefore lord krishna does not teach in bhagavad gita how to fight the battle what's your strategy of the battle he doesn't teach that in arjuna knows it we all know the worldly things we don't have to teach anybody it's not necessary to teach anybody how to treat your patients how to work in your office how to manage the everybody knows better than swamis although people sometimes ask those questions also but that is not the question all those things are and it's better not to advise them in those aspects you know because you can confuse them they are better trained you know than the swamis are oh what it is that makes the situation a problem what it is that makes the situation problem is the ignorance is the inner confusion is the inner complexes and that is where the swamis can help you know once they are gone then you will know how to deal with the situation <clears throat> therefore lord krishna doesn't bother much about asking arjuna how to deal with the situation how to remove the problem arjuna is quite capable of dealing with the situation that's how he comes to battlefield in the first place all ready to fight 
something happened within him that grief or sadness and that is how he found himself inadequate so Lord Krishna teaches how to remove the sadness the grief arising from inadequacy how to make us free from the sense of inadequacy how to make us free suppose we are inadequate by nature there is no way that we can become free from inadequacy Suppose bondage was our nature, suppose sadness was our nature, there is no way that we can ever become free from sadness. So what does Lord Krishna teach? What is the way of becoming free from inadequacy? By recognizing that adequacy is my nature, recognizing that freedom is my nature. <coughs> and thus, this teaching us what we are. The first six chapters of Bhagavad Gita basically teach us what we are. That we have a wrong, lots of wrong notions about ourselves. We have the wrong perception of our own self. Each one of us is born with a wrong perception. The so-called consciousness is there, but it is a consciousness which is in fact consciousness which is coupled with ignorance. It is not consciousness of a true nature of ourselves, but then consciousness coupled with ignorance. In fact, consciousness characterized by wrong perception of ourselves. If we were born as a true conscious of ourselves, there would be no problem at all. But the so-called consciousness that we have is in fact what we call the misconception or the false perception of ourselves. We have the false or the wrong perception of ourselves. When they say that the animals do not have that self-consciousness, meaning that they are free from that wrong perception of themselves. They also don't have right perception, but they don't have wrong perception also. We not only have not the right perception of ourselves, but we have wrong perception of ourselves. And thus, all the human problems of sadness and grief arise from the false perception of one's own self, which brings about the false perception of the world. That also brings about the false perception of God. Thus these three entities, the Jiva, the individual, Jagat, the universe, and Ishvara, the creator, Jiva, Jagat, and Ishvara, the individual, the world, and the creator. There are false perceptions about all these things. And what Bhagavad Gita seeks to do is to remove these false perceptions by giving us the right perception. Therefore, the first six chapters give us the right perception about the self. The second six chapters give us the right perception about the world as well as about God. And the last six chapters tell us how this individual and world and God in fact are one and they are not many. So this is the arrangement of the teaching of Bhagavad Gita. And the first chapter basically deals with the a described description of grief Arjuna. The first ten verses of the second chapter also continue that description. From eleventh verse of the second chapter, Lord Krishna begins his teaching. And basically what Lord Krishna teaches is that you are immortal. Najayate Mriyate Vakadachit. Your self is never born. Self is free from birth and death and growth and all those things that you heard, you know. Asti, Jayate, Vardate, Viparinamate, 
Apakshyate, Vinashyati. You know the sixfold modifications? Asti Ched Jayate, he's born. Asti Ched, if he continues to live, then Vardate, then he grows. Viparinamate, becomes mature. Apakshyate, declines. Vinashyati, then dies. Each one of these things is a cause of unhappiness. Each one of these modifications is a cause of unhappiness. Because I like to see myself changeless. I do not like change. <coughs> Lord Krishna says that the self is free from all these modifications. Ajaha, ajonityaha, shashvatoyam puranaha, nahanyate, hanyamane sharire, ajaha. Unborn, nityaha, without death, shashvataha, without growth, without decay, that in fact you are not what you take yourself to be. You are immortal. You are free from birth and death and old age. Yes, there is birth and death, but that belongs to the body. There is something that is subject to birth and death, which is the body. There is something that grows and decays and dies, that's the body. But you are the indweller of the body, the very witness to the body. You are the consciousness, the self, free from all these changes and modifications. You are immortal, you are free. So that was said in the second chapter. But then Lord Krishna also recognizes that in order for this teaching that I am ever free, I am immortal, I am free from birth and death, that the death of the body is not my death. Just because the body dies, the self does not die. That I never was born, there never was a time when I was not, there never will be a time when I will not be. I am free from beginning and free from end. To be able to grasp this teaching does require a certain frame of mind, certain disposition of mind, certain preparation, which will be primarily the theme of Pujya Swamiji's talks. You know, that sadhana means, see, so talked about growth. A very long talk about the growth, how the physiological growth takes place by the laws of nature. But then, that is already done then we have to initiate ourselves another kind of growth. That is called the self-growth. So there's this two-step process is there. First is the self-growth and second is the self-knowledge. Self-knowledge requires also self-growth. But self-growth is meant the growth or maturity of the mind. So growth or maturity of the mind is the first step. And then the self-knowledge is the second step. So therefore Lord Krishna also teaches the process called karma yoga by which to bring about the maturity of your mind. That you hear from Pujya Swamiji basically how to bring about the maturity of the mind. <coughs> what they call the purification, inner purification. How to make the mind free from the likes and dislikes. How to make the mind free from the impulses. How to have a mind which is composed which is satisfied with itself, which is abiding in itself, which is happy with itself. This poor mind, as Lord Krishna says, when it is under the control of likes and dislikes, then it acts as my own enemy. Atmaiva khyatmanobandhu, atmaiva ripuhu That mind which is under hold of likes and dislikes and imposes, acts as though it is my own enemy. Whereas the mind that is free from likes and dislikes becomes my friend. So the first step is how to make our own mind our friend. How to make our own personality our friend. 
how to acquire that the favorableness of our own self, making ourselves favorable to us, and having an abiding mind, a contemplating mind. <coughs> That's the theme of the second chapter, Karma Yoga, part of the second chapter, third chapter is called Karma Yoga, the fourth chapter, fifth chapter, sixth chapter, all of these basically focus upon the self and the karma. So that is how Atma the self and karma the action, karma yoga, they are the theme of the first six chapters of the Gita. And then, having talked about the true perception of one's own self, what is in the true perception of the world? What is the true perception of the, of the Ishwara, God, is the theme of the second six chapters, and that will be the theme of the seventh chapter, which, which uh, you know, we will we'll begin from our next class. So, first six chapters giving us the true perception of our own self and the means of gaining that perception is called Karma Yoga. The second six chapters give us the true perception of the world and the God and, and Ishwara and the means of attaining that true perception is called Bhakti, the devotion. So this we will learn in the seventh chapter. What is the nature of Ishwara? Therefore, what is the nature of the Jagat or, or universe? And what is the nature of Bhakti or the devotion? Who is the Bhakta? Who is the devotee? So, Ishwara, the Lord, devotee, the Bhakta, and devotion, the Bhakti. This is subject matter of the six chapters, and seventh chapter also deals with these topics, as we will see from tomorrow. So. <coughs> Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyate Om Shanti 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 Shanti